Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 14. We're talking about the idea of confessing our sins to one another. James chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to look at a couple of verses here just by way of introduction so we can get the flow of the passage, so to speak, and then go more in depth on one verse. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So, context... Uh, James is approaching the end of his letter, giving some practical exhortations and says, you know, if you find yourself sick and nothing else seems to be working, a great idea is call the elders. They'll come and pray for you and you might get healed. And if there has been sin that is connected to this sickness, you'll be forgiven. Um, The word that's used there for sick, it can be translated weak. It's used 32 times in the New Testament. 18 of those times, it does seem to refer to physical sickness, like we would think. Uh, But 14 of the times, it seems to refer more to like a spiritual sickness, a spiritual weakness. Uh, Maybe some type of debilitating depression. I'm not saying all depression is uh, sin, but some of it racked with worry could turn into that. Uh, Maybe an addiction that you feel like, I'm spiritually sick, I'm stuck in this sin, I can't get out, I've tried, that type of thing. Ironside, one commentator said, it might refer to mental depression. I had a friend last year who was struggling with some very severe depression and talking to me about it. And uh, at one point he said, do you, Olin, do you think this is more of a physical thing? Uh, or is it maybe some more of a psychological type thing? Uh, or is it more of a spiritual thing? And the follow-up question was, and so thus, should I go meet with a counselor? Or should I talk to a medical doctor? Or should I talk to... The elders and leaders of my church. And I said, I, I don't know. Maybe all three. Why, why not? I mean, how desperate are you? And sometimes all these things can be intertwined. And it's hard to pull out what's sin, what's a chemical imbalance. And so, when in doubt, call on the elders of the church to pray. Uh, I was talking to a woman the other day who said she's struggling, really struggling to get good sleep at night. And maybe multiple factors, but it's one of the things she has these kind of horrific nightmares. Well, that sounds like more than just something physical. Talk to a doctor. Do everything practical again. But she's a member of a good local church. Talk to the elders. Pray. Get them to pray for you. My buddy that I was talking to last year about the depression, just a side note, but I think it's important. I asked him, I said, um, you know, you're in a church. He lives in a different state. He said, yes, go to church. I said, do you know any of the elders there? And he just said, you know, no, we really haven't gotten plugged in. We show up on Sunday morning. We participate in the worship service. We leave. That's it. And I was like, brother, now's a great time to get to know an elder. You know, it would have been better if you knew him earlier, but maybe you want to get to know him now. So, um, oil. Why would they pour oil? Maybe it had medicinal value or they thought that it did. Some commentators think that. It's probably more likely that they saw that as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. Think about in the Old Testament, they anointed David to be king and the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. In a sense, we're praying that the Holy Spirit come upon you, forgive your sins, do something powerful. It's so important to understand all of our personal sickness is not linked directly to our personal sinfulness. 
Right? The clearest passage in the Bible. John chapter 9. Why is this man blind? His sin or his parents' sin? Neither. But so God's glory can be shown. But there are places, even in the New Testament, where 1 Corinthians 11 is maybe the clearest. They're taking the Lord's Supper. They're abusing it. Some of them are getting drunk. Some of them are kind of not being loving towards the poor people. And Paul says, for this reason, because you're not taking the Lord's Supper as seriously as you should, some of you are sick. Some of you have fallen asleep. You, you died. So it can be connected. Now, um, we really want to focus on James chapter 5, verse 16. So I'm going to read it in three different translations because I want us to really try to go deep, get our mind around it. So here's the Williams translation. So practice confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be cured. An upright man's prayer, when it keeps at work, is very powerful. Here's the message. Make this your common practice. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. And then here's the Phillips translation. You should get into the habit of admitting your sins to one another and praying for one another so that if sickness comes to you, you may be healed. And here is the good old ESV. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, to really do this right, to practice this, confessing our sins to one another, what does it take? It takes at least two things and hopefully it leads to a third. Honesty, humility, healing. Those are our three points. So, um, honesty. James says, because sometimes your sin can lead to sickness, whether that's physical or spiritual. And by spiritual, I mean almost like an addiction. And I think we understand the difference. Whatever words you put on it. There are some sins that maybe you do once every blue moon, but it's not really a big deal. It's very rare, and it seems kind of easy to get out of your life. I can't believe I did that or said that. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And you actually never do it again. And then there are other sins that we're probably a lot more familiar with that you're like, I hate that I did that, but I'm not really shocked because I do that all the time. And I want to say I'll never do that again, but I'm not sure I can keep that promise. All of us do tend to have besetting sins in our life. And so confessing sin is like a preemptive strike before you get enslaved to that sin, before you get addicted. And it can also be helpful in getting out on the backside. Now, the Catholic Church historically has taken this verse and they have abused it terribly, teaching that if you don't confess all of your sins, at least known sins that you can remember, to a priest once a year, you can't really be forgiven. That's terrible. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's not accurate. And it certainly doesn't come out of this verse. I mean, this verse is talking about confessing your sins one to another. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to see that. It talks about one another twice in the passage. But, unfortunately, because of historic Catholic abuses, I think sometimes Protestants have swung the pendulum in the other direction. I don't have to confess my sin to a priest. I don't have to confess my sin to anybody. I confess my sin to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I need. And listen, that is true to get to heaven. But if you want to thrive spiritually between now and heaven, you better be talking to somebody else face to face about your sin. Honesty. Like with most biblical truths in the Bible, that's where biblical truths are, uh, there tends to be a ditch on both sides of the road. You can over-confess. You confess too much. Now, you may say, I've never heard of this one before. Well, you haven't been in college ministry. If you, if you had, you, you would experience this kind of stuff. I used to have a guy in one of my discipleship groups, and he, I, he, I don't know if he thought I was a Catholic priest. 
But he would show up and he's like, well, on Thursday I wore this suit to business class and I had a lot of pride in my appearance, you know, and then on Friday I saw this girl and I thought I was too flirtatious with her and then on Saturday, you know, and it's just like, it was like a play-by-play. It's like, man, you, you don't have to give me literally everything you've done. I appreciate the honesty, but it was overdone. And, and sometimes we can be, want to be too public. We, we had a staff girl one time at a New Year's conference and she was supposed to share a testimony and the our older women's shepherd that was kind of getting her ready for the testimony found me that day and said, she is planning to go into like graphic detail of some of her before Christ, you know, sin. And, you know, I had to say, don't do that. I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability, but that won't be helpful for you to get up there and share that with a bunch of other college students. You'll just push them into sin and their thought life. Now, let's be real. That's not where most of us are living, Right. Where most of us are living is much more on this side and the other ditch of under-confessing, barely confessing, rarely confessing. What does that look like? Sometimes it's just you don't talk about your sin, ever. You just can't get personal. I remember there was a guy, Staff Kim Savage, he's not on Staff Kim Savage anymore, and uh, there were some obvious sin struggles, and partially because he was having conflict with almost anybody that he worked with for any stretch of time. And as we were trying to talk to him about it, he gets, he's like, oh, it's just his personality differences, his leadership styles. It, it, was, it was never sin. And so at one point, me and another guy were trying to talk to him. We are trying to follow Matthew 18. He said, do you not see that, that some men can have an idol of respect? It's, it's good to want to be respected. It's wrong to demand to be respected in all settings. And some men can idolize respect. He said, I think all men have an idol of respect. So I'm thinking, praise the Lord, we're making some progress here. I said, okay, we think you are struggling with an eye of respect in this relationship. He's like, no, no, I don't struggle with that. <laughs> it, I mean, it was baffling. But he literally could say, all men struggle with this except me. That's how blind we can get, guys. Right? It's easy to say, well, you know, we're all sinners and I'm not perfect. Thanks for nothing. What does that mean? We, we need to learn to talk more specifically and deeply about our sin. Or we can do it so lightly, so gently. We confess something that's so small and insignificant. Right? And listen, know your own heart. Maybe what you're confessing sounds small and light to somebody else, and yet for you, it really is what you're struggling with. But, but if all of your sin is like, well, my back hurts a little bit, and I've just been, you know, angry about my back pain. Okay, I mean, I, I can understand that. But that's, that's it? That's the depth of your sin? I had an uh, experience recently. I'll, I'll share this with y'all. This is, and this is recent, right? This is not 20 years ago. Where I've been traveling a lot. There's been a lot of sickness in our house. A lot of adult children home for the summer. Glad to have them. But my wife and I had not had much alone time, right? For what, You see where this is going? And uh, all of a sudden I realized I'm about to be alone all by myself. Been traveling a lot, like I said. And the temptation... To get by myself and turn on the TV and watch all sorts of sinful stuff I knew I didn't. It's like it started just attacking me in the afternoon. I'm not even there yet, right? And so I knew that. I heard a quote by John Piper one time talking specifically about lust. And he said, listen, when lust really starts coming after you, you've got about five seconds to take it captive. And I've got a group of eight other guys and we, we meet together regularly and we text each other. And so I knew, I said, I need to text those guys and just confess temptation. Guys, you really want to get serious about this? Don't wait till the sin's already happened. 
confess it before it happens. That's one of the ways you kill it. Again, a preemptive strike. So, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. is embarrassing. Like, I'm the ministry guy in the group, right? I'm supposed to have my stuff together. But I just sent him a quick text. Hey, guys, I am really tempted. Going to be all alone tonight. Pray for me and ask me about it tomorrow. And you know, guys, and listen, I've done that more than once. And you know what happens almost every time? It's like the temptation gets killed about 99%. I'm not saying I get perfectly sanctified. But once you brought it into the light, light has a cleansing power. And then it's like, well, darn it. I got eight people praying for me now. And at least three of them will remember to ask me tomorrow morning. How'd last night go? And it just, it just kills it. Air on that side. Matthew Henry. It may be of good use to Christians to disclose their particular weaknesses and infirmities to one another. Guys, we have different besetting sins. You might not struggle with lust. You might struggle with alcohol. You might struggle with pain pills. You might struggle with gambling. You might struggle with sinful anger. You might struggle with pride, with slander, with bitterness. Listen, know thyself and then invite others in to know you as well. I had a uh, counseling professor in seminary and he used to say Satan will define you by your secrets if you have secret sin in your life that you're not talking to anybody about the guilt and the shame Satan will use that to oppress you Thomas Manton great Puritan said confession is an act of mortification it's the way you kill sin confession is the vomit of the soul we've got to be honest second we've got to be humble let me just for a second skip to really practical application I think it's ideal, best in most settings for Christians to have at least two people that they know everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The really bad, dark stuff you did way back when, even before Christ. Maybe the dark stuff that was done to you that still marks you. Maybe the stuff you're still doing right now you're struggling with and you're embarrassed about. And maybe the stuff that you've never done but you're thinking about doing it you're plotting it. Right? Never drank that much before. All the kids are out of the house. My wife sure does like a glass of wine, two or three. Maybe I should. I got nothing else to do. I'm kind of bored. Maybe I'll just sit on the back porch. I'm not going to get sloppy drunk. But I just like to test the waters a little bit. Guys, whatever it is, the temptation, you need to have one or two people in your life that you're talking to about. Now, why do I say two? And again, this is not a verse. This is my personal practical application because it's ideal probably to have a peer, best friend type person, maybe your wife in certain settings, maybe not your wife, and then a mentor. And why too? Because almost certainly at some point you're going to do something, be tempted to do something that you're going to be really embarrassed to at least tell one of them about, right? I ain't telling her about this, about those thoughts. I'd be way too embarrassed to talk to my mentor about this. You, you need one person that when you're tempted to lie to the other one, you can be honest to that one. Okay. If you need to, get somebody that lives in another state. You just talk to them on the phone. You don't have to see them face to face. I almost don't know how you can really grow spiritually without this type of confession in your life. Can you be a Christian? Yeah baby immature in spiritual diapers the rest of your life Christian you want to really grow you want to really thrive you want to really move forward you've got to have people in your life talking guys when is the last time 
And I'm not talking about coming to a Bible study like this or Sunday school class or whatever where it's very normal to give a prayer request. When's the last time that you, out of the normal time, initiated somebody and said, I need prayer about this issue in my life. Here is where I'm struggling. Here is where I'm stuck in sin. Here is where I'm tempted to sin. Here is where I'm planning to sin. I had not done it yet, but I'm really close. Pray for me. Pray with me. I think that's the feel of this verse. This may be the best point for some of us here. I think that far too many of us are so worried about our reputation as being a godly, mature, spiritual giant of the faith that we can't actually become a godly, mature, spiritual giant of the faith because what will help us get there is honesty and humility about our current sin struggles. But we don't want to say that. We'd rather look holy than actually be holy. Third point, healing. Okay, Just like the word that we looked at earlier, sick can mean a spiritual sickness, the healing in verse 16. It can mean physical healing. It can also mean spiritual healing, spiritual freedom. Freedom. Matthew Poole, another great commentator. Healing is often applied to the soul as well as the body. Guys, if you are living in real honesty, real humility, real confession, real prayer with others, it will lead to some measure of holiness, transformation, progress, not perfection. Right? Reverend Barker, you say it's about the direction of your faith, not the perfection of your faith. Brief testimony. Some of y'all may have heard me share some of this. Grew up in a very godly family, very godly parents. I really started rebelling when I was in the fifth grade. It's amazing how early it can start. So by the time I got into high school, it was already full-blown lie, sneak out of my house, cuss like a sailor, drink like a sailor, you know, try to sleep around like a sailor if I, if I could have found somebody that would participate, right? I mean, I just full-blown rebellion. You know, by God's grace, he did some kind of miracle in my heart the summer before my sophomore year and really just radically pulled me out of all that. His grace and credit. My parents never had a clue because I was an amazing liar. Here's the thing. I got super plugged into the youth group. And a lot of those sins, it's just like they were gone like that. You know? They don't serve alcohol at the youth retreat. But there are a lot of attractive girls at youth retreat, right? And that sin died a lot harder. And so struggling with sexual sin and date the girl, break up with the girl, cry about it, get back together. And at one point I can remember driving home feeling so much guilt, so much shame, and real hate for my sin and praying, saying, God, what do I have to do to be free of this sin? And it's one of those times where, in air quotes, I feel like God spoke to me. And what I mean by that is I didn't see a light or hear an audible voice, but there was a thought that was in my brain very clearly, and I know for sure I didn't put it there. And the thought was, go tell your parents everything. And my parents typically went to bed at about 10 o'clock back then. I waited until about 9.58, and as they were walking to their bedroom, I said, hey, I need to tell you all something. And they're like, uh, you know what, buddy, we're tired. And I said, ah, you may want to sit down for this one. And uh, I just basically emotionally vomited up about the last five years of sin. And it was life-changing. You know, my dad prayed for me that night in the kitchen, and I know I sound like a charismatic talking right now, and I'm not. And back then I was just a good old Baptist. But something happened in that kitchen. Like God came near in a special way. And again, it's not like I've all of a sudden like, I don't like girls anymore, right? I'm glad he didn't do that. 
But it was like a gigantic step forward in my sanctification process. You understand what I'm talking about? The Amplified Bible says, restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Based on our personality, based on our upbringing, some of us tend to be way too easy on ourselves. Yeah, I'm drinking a little too much. Probably, I don't know. Drunk, buzz, ah, what's that mean? I'm just feeling good. I'm just real relaxed and everything's funny. Porn, I wouldn't call it porn. I mean, yes, there's some nudity, but, you know. We need somebody in love to sit us down and say, hey, brother, I love you. God love you, but this is a big deal. Don't play with your sin. Watching some Navy SEAL TV show with one of my sons last night, you know, and there's one of these fight scenes where the guy's literally choking another guy to death. I love fight scenes like that, right? And part of the reason I love it because it's like, that's how I need to fight my sin. That level of effort and energy, I'm going to murder this sin in my life. But most of us don't. We kind of play with it. We coddle it. We fondle it. We need brothers to speak to us truth and love to say, you got to grow up, man. And I want to help you. But some of us tend to have a personality upbringing on the other side that says, oh, man, you know what? I, I had one lustful fall last night. It lasted for two seconds. I think I lost my salvation. And somebody said, you know what? I think you're probably still a Christian. You know, we're not to heaven yet. You raised your voice once at one of your children. I might have done that once or twice. I, I don't think you lost the faith. Right? Okay. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too easy on yourself. Well, how do you know? You live in community. You live in a regular pattern of community with other men where you can talk about your sinful temptations. Okay. Um, because listen... If I'm confessing my sin and, and my brothers in Christ are kind of like, man, that's bad. How much more might a holy God be saying, it's bad. You need to repent. You need to stop. It brings me closer to God. And likewise, how much more when I confess my sin and maybe my brothers say, that's really bad, but you know what? We still forgive you. We still love you. We're still committed to you in grace. If my sinful brothers can do that, how much more a holy God can do that? So... Um, couple of thoughts by way of application. Think about David and Peter, two of the godliest guys in the Bible. David got into adultery and murder and cover-up. Really bad outward sins. Peter's sins weren't near as bad and scandalous outwardly, but of the heart, they were pretty bad. I mean, it was really a, it was an anti-gospel thought process and action to say, I don't even want to eat with these Gentile converts anymore too worried about what people think about me. I'm still figuring, you know, are they really fully accepted and are they second class? What did it take for David in the Old Testament, Paul, I mean, Peter in the New Testament to repent? These two spiritual giants of the faith that wrote part of the Bible? It took a brother getting in their face and saying, you're the man. Nathan and the Apostle Paul. Paul did it publicly. That wasn't very nice. I'm sure glad he did, aren't you? You got a Nathan in your life? You got a Paul in your life? You see, here's the problem in the soft Western evangelical church of today. 
There ain't many Nathans and Pauls running around. We're all, most of us are far too worried about being nice and kind. Should you be kind and gentle through the Holy Spirit? Yes. But if your niceness leads you to not confront people, that's a problem. So what I'm saying is, don't wait around in your spiritual addiction and stuckness for Nathan or Paul to find you because what if they don't? Go the extra mile to invite. Listen, this kind of accountability, guys, works best when you are inviting it into your life. When somebody else is trying to force it on you, you ever had that experience? You ever been the one trying to enforce it on somebody else? It's, it doesn't work is the bottom line. It doesn't work. I've got three boys. They're doing better today than they've been doing right in a long and they, they, they've been, but they've been roller coaster rides. There have been highs and lows. And there have been seasons where one of them is coming to me, Dad, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need prayer with. Here's what I need accountability with. Dad, will you take some stuff off of my phone and block it so I can't get back? It's like, praise God, right? It's just a miracle. And in the exact same season, I've had another son that's lying and hiding and doing everything he can to put his best foot forward. Everything's fine over here, Dad. It's like, moron, I can still read stuff on your phone. You don't know the, the technology I got. I know what's going on. But which one is it easier to help? The one that's begging for it or the one that's trying to be fake about it? And it's true of us too, guys. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. And is not that the reason, perhaps, for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness, not real forgiveness? Tim Chester said this. This is a long quote. It's really good. Hang with me. We love our reputation more than we hate sin. We'd like to stop sinning, but not if it costs us people's approval. And that means true repentance isn't taking place. It's one thing to make a resolution. It is something completely different to repent, diligently seek counsel, and in concert with others develop a plan that is concrete and Christ-centered. Think about it. We're prepared to choose sin, reject God, abandon freedom, and even risk hell rather than have people think badly of us. True repentance lets nothing get in the way of change, not even reputation. I want to be known for my holiness, but this desire impedes my actually becoming holy. My pride makes holiness my boast, and that cuts me off from my only hope, the grace of God, James 4, 6. My pride hides my sin, and that cuts me off from the help of other Christians. My pride minimizes or excuses sin, so I never deal with it with sufficient force. Reputation is a small price to pay for the joy of knowing more of God and reflecting His glory. Nancy Lady Moss, y'all familiar with her? She's on the radio a lot of times. And uh, I remember hearing something she did in high school, a comparison between King David and King Saul, the heart that God revives, the broken heart versus the proud heart. And she had a list of about 25 things that would all just spiritually gut check you. But here was the one that got me the most, and it still gets me the most. The broken person doesn't care who knows about his sin. King David wrote Psalm 51, and we're still reading about it 3,000 years later. I killed a man. Blood guiltiness. I was meeting with a college student. I think this was last year. And uh, this guy, senior, been meeting with him for a while. Know him pretty good. 
And I could just tell, something's off with this guy. He's kind of being cold, distant, so we're meeting. I said, something's up with you. You're not the same. You're distant, you're cold, you seem hard. Right? Oh, everything's fine. So I said, well, you know, when Jesus was walking around the earth, he talked to the woman at the well. He never talked to her about money. He did talk to her about her sex life because that's where her sin was. And Jesus knew everything. He knew it. When Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, never talked to him about his sex life. He did talk to him about money because he knew his heart and knew greed was his issue. I said, so if Jesus came in this restaurant right now and sat down here, what would he ask you about? He's like, I don't know. I said, ah, take your best guess. <laughs> well, probably just a bunch of little things. And I leaned forward and I said, in my experience, it's never a bunch of little things. It's always one thing, one big thing. And he hung his head and he said, you're right, there is one big thing. But I ain't telling you. And I said, okay. It's fine. You don't have to tell me. You need to tell somebody. Why? It happened in the past. It's not happening anymore. And it involved other people. <laughs> Doesn't our sin almost always? And listen, guys. That's just a better chance it's going to come out one way or the other. You might as well go ahead and tell somebody. And here's what I really want us to see by telling that story. And I think this guy's a believer. But in some very practical, functional sense... He wasn't really trusting in the blood of Christ to cover his sin. What he was trusting in was, I've quit. Look how much progress I've made. Look how much better I am. And I'm not going to tell anybody so nobody will know about it. So I'll be, you understand? It's a false functional gospel to put your best foot forward. And it never works. Sometimes the physical sickness, the mental fog, the emotional depression, the spiritual addiction can be God's discipline to get our attention. And God, this can sound like a sermon of wrath. It's really not, guys. It's a sermon of love. It's severe love. It's aggressive love. It's the love that loves us above. Hey, I'll hurt you in the short run to bless you in the long run. It's a good daddy. Psalm 32, David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. All of this must be gospel saturated. I'm not talking about having some kind of like spiritual weight watchers account group where you got to come in and stand on the scale with your shirt off and get embarrassed and confess all your... I'm not talking about that, guys. Hey, I'm just talking about genuine humility, genuine confession, genuine honesty, genuine asking for prayer, staying in the place of prayer with others. Sometimes we can turn our confession into like an emotional repentance. I'm beating my, I have to grieve enough. I have to, just, just be honest. When David confessed his sin to Nathan in the Hebrew, it's like literally just two or three words. He just said, sin against God. Just honesty. That's it, guys. When I confessed to my parents, you know, they, they, they were not lawless type people. You know, they weren't like, well, boys will be boys. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So your wild adults. Everybody goes through it. They weren't morons like a lot of parents are. But not, praise God, neither were they legalistic, self-righteous, arrogant Pharisees. They weren't like, how dare you? We can't believe you've ruined our reputation. Ah! There's none of that. I said, you know what? We're sad. We're really sad. We're sad for you that you've been living in this secret sin and shame. But you know what? We're so glad you're telling us. And we forgive you. We love you. And more importantly, your Father in Heaven forgives you. Like, hey, what can we do to help? And guys, it was life transformative. You think that made me want to confess sin more or less? 
You think that made me want to hate my sin more or less? You think that made me want to kill my sin, fight it more or less? More in every respect. The best part of confessing sins to one another is it often helps us confess it in more reality to God. The more I have to be honest with another brother, eyeball to eyeball, the more I have to be honest with myself because sometimes when I'm telling lies to my brother, I start believing the lies myself, right? But I'm honest with my brother, I get honest with myself, and eventually I'll get really honest with God. I'm a fraud, God. I'm going through the motions. I got people fooled. I can't fool you. And the more honest with God you are, the more of His grace you'll experience, guys. Because He loves to give grace to the humble. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He walked the earth, He had no sin to confess. He did have temptation to confess, did He not? Tempted in every way as we are. He had real struggles. I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe more than ever. His three best friends. Would you guys please stay awake and pray with me? Because my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. I'm so overwhelmed with the temptation to fear, to worry, to doubt, to run away. That I feel like I'm just about to die. Real humility in the Godhead. But because of that confession, because of that prayer, and listen, I know this sounds almost blasphemous. Go read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. It says he was perfected in his obedience. It's like he grew strong after praying to the Father, talking to his friends to stand up, wipe the tears out of his eyes, confront Judas and the soldiers. You let my men go. You can have me. And go all the way to the cross faithfully. And be slaughtered for our sins. And guys, the more that's real to us, that all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been submerged forever in the blood of the Son of God. It gets easier to be really honest with my brothers about what I'm still struggling with. That's my salvation. That's my hope. That's my boast. That's my resting place. I can be free to be honest about where I'm still struggling. Because I'm already secure in Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, please make us more humble. Please make us more honest. Please make us more broken. Please make us hate our sin like you hate it. And for the reasons that you hate it. Not just in a selfish, I hate that I got caught and it's embarrassing. But more of, I hate hurting my Heavenly Father and grieving the Holy Spirit. Set us free, grow us up, make us into the men you want us to be, the men of humility and honesty. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.